<laughs> yeah. I mean, that is awesome. Every time I watched that unfold this week, I just had that, those warm, fuzzy feelings inside. Like I'm like, now that is Aslan, and that's what I'm talking about. Uh, on Thursday night, I get to go with my kids and watch uh, the new Star Wars movie, and my absolutely favorite scene in it, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna give, <laughs> you guys are like, no! You have until the first weekend of January to watch that movie, and then I'm bringing it, okay? So that's what I'm just saying. Today we're talking not about Star Wars, but we are going to be talking about Narnia and this incredible story of the Chronicles of Narnia that we just got to experience behind us uh, as we enter the story. Uh, the story obviously is about four children that are running from the raw realities and horrors of this world, the war that was being affected on London at the time and on Europe, and they ran to a house in the countryside for safety. There they discovered a wardrobe that became a doorway into a wondrous world of truths and realities and, and beauty that they could never have imagined, and they enter into that world of wonder and into that story. Now, the, the Chronicles of Narnia are very much about the four children, right? Very much about their story, but what we discover in the story very quickly is that though the story is very much about them, the central character in the story is a lion named Aslan, who is the king of Narnia, and more importantly than just the king, he is the redeemer of the entire story of Narnia, and in so redeeming the story of Narnia, also ends up being the redeemer of the four children's story as well. C.S. Lewis, who is the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, writes this story as a picture of our human story. He writes it uh, to demonstrate what he's discovered through the scriptures about our story and about how our story unfolds. And as we, together, this particular Christmas season, have entered into Christmas and are entering into Christmas, which is coming, by the way, in like four days, right? So, I mean, here we are. This is the weekend before the grand event where we celebrate the Christmas story. What we have discovered, what we are discovering, is that the Christmas story is in many ways like the wardrobe was to the children. It is our doorway into discovering the wonder of a story we could never have imagined, full of truths and realities and adventure that we could never have imagined in our particular story of our raw and ugly humanity. And so as we enter into Christmas this season, and as we walk through our wardrobe, through our doorway into the Christmas story, we have begun over the weeks past to discover some of the wonder that comes with that Christmas story. With the one who was born in that Christmas story. And quickly, though we know the story is certainly about us, we discover that the central character to our story is in fact not us. It is Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and more importantly, the Redeemer of the whole story, including our story. And that's what we discover in the Christmas story. So uh, a few weeks ago as we entered our wardrobe, we discovered that because of our active disobedience in the Garden of Eden, where we decided to buy into the lie that the enemy gave us, that pursuing our divinity, becoming like God, pursuing our story, imaging us and ourselves instead of God would be a better way to live, we bought into that lie, and in so doing, we did not discover divinity. We discovered sin and death. 
the corrupter, the great corrupter of all things, right? And so our souls, the essence of who we are, was corrupted by sin and death. And at that point, we lost our souls to ourselves. Our souls died. We died. And the consequence of that was felt in our humanity as our bodies followed suit and the world around us followed suit. And so with dead souls, we entered into our world and the pursuit of our fulfillment became the chasing after the wind, as Solomon says, right? We just chased after anything that would fulfill the deep needs uh, that our soul needed. We wanted to be rescued from this death and horrid experience, but we also wanted to remain king. And so we fought and fought and fought. What we discovered in the early part of our journey into the scriptures through the Christmas story is that when Christ came to this planet, lived, died, and rose from the dead, he came to rescue our souls, to bring back to life what was dead. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes and says, the old is gone, the new has come. We have been made new, we are new creations in Christ. Our deadness is brought to life. We are told in the scriptures on multiple occasions that though we were dead in our sin, we are now alive in Christ. And so we discovered this pursuit of the wind, this chasing after the wind, that can get uh, put behind us now, and we have been uh, opened up and awakened to a brand new journey where we are not chasing after nothing, but we are chasing after God, and we are discovering Him, and so our souls are coming more and more alive as we pursue God. What a life we have to live on this planet. And that was certainly enough to stand in awe of as we stare into that wonder. But it didn't end there, did it? The next week as we went back through the wardrobe, we discovered that God not only came to rescue our souls, to bring us back to life and to fulfill a life on this planet in which we pursue the wonder of God and discover more and more his incredible uh, soul rescue, but that he also restored to us our original created purpose. That we were purposed to image God, but we lost that ability when we left the Garden of Eden uh, and we pursued our own divinity. And so we lost the wonder of living our lives to make God known to one another and to all the world and to know God through one another. God restores this to us. And in Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10 and says, you and I in Christ are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance for us to do. It's like God wrote the story for us and said, go play in it. Go play in it. It's super fun. And so we're like, wow, our souls are made alive. Our story on this planet restored to purpose and image the will of God and to do what he's prepared for us to do. I mean, how awesome is the life we get to live, right? And we got to the end of that and we thought, this is awesome. This is wonderful. No wonder the story of Christmas is so full of wonder. No wonder the story of Christmas is so awesome. And although this is awesome, soul rescued, wow. Purpose restored, wow. Influencing and impacting the way we experience our life on this planet, wow. That is only the smallest part of the big story. 
That is the smallest part of the wonder of Christmas. That is the smallest part of what God demonstrates to us through his story and through his rescue and through his restoration of our purpose. The big part of the story is yet to be experienced. The scriptures reveal to us that what we are experiencing on this planet, what we experienced when we abandoned God and we lost right relationship with him, what we experienced as a consequence of that lost relationship is but a glimpse of what we will yet experience when the fullness of our separation from God is realized. In other words, what the scripture revealed to us was this. If you think that what you see unfolding on this planet as a result of being separated from God is horrible, you have no idea what horrible is. You have no idea how bad this gets because this is a glimpse of what life without God is like. Do you remember what life without God was like on this planet? What we have watched it unfold like when the human race walked out of the Garden of Eden in Adam and Eve? It was not long before that same human race was so filled with evil and horror and so corrupted by sin and death that it says in the scripture, every thought and intent of the heart of man was evil. That's in Genesis, book one. And we were at each other's throats. We were uh, on a pathway to self-destruct. That is life without God. It is not pretty. It's not a party. It's not super fun. It's not where you get to break the rules. It is where death and sin erodes everything you are until there is nothing left. Until every bit of peace and joy and wonder that you have as a human being is lost to you and you are left empty with nothing. That's what it turned out to be. We watched it unfold in the story throughout Genesis and onward into Exodus and onward past that, right? People separated from God end up in a giant horrid mess every time. And the people of Israel, after God came and he brought himself to them, rescued them from their own pursuits, protected and preserved them through the law and through his presence and through constant redemptive acts, we saw even in them that every time they separated themselves from God, everything went downhill fast, everything eroded quickly and the corruptive nature of sin began to demonstrate to us how bad it gets. So the scripture reveals to us that when we leave this planet, the story does not end. Our story does not end. We were not created to live a short life on planet earth and be done, finished. Our story continues into a space we know as eternity. We cannot grasp it fully yet because we are stuck in time and space so everything goes by a clock for us. But at some point we will enter a dimension where this reality of time and space is no longer and it is just the essence of being in a place for a period of time we cannot begin to comprehend. And as we enter that eternity, if entering that eternity, we enter without Christ, without his great redemptive work, without the cross, without the resurrection, without the rescue of soul, without the restored purpose, we enter an eternity to experience the full implications of what we have only glimpsed on this planet as horrid and terrible and, and unthinkable. Randy Elkhorn wrote a book called Heaven. And in the book, he writes this quote, and I love this quote. It speaks so perfectly of our experience here on earth. Listen to this. Earth is an in-between world, touched by both heaven and hell. 
earth leads directly into heaven or directly into hell, affording a choice between the two. Here it is. Listen to this. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. And the worst of life on earth is a glimpse of hell. So do you you understand what we're getting at here? The full consequence of our separation from God without rescue from Jesus is an eternity that makes the worst of this planet seem like a glimpse of nothing. That is what we were destined for. That was our pursuit. Pursue the wind, find nothing, have no purpose, die and experience all of eternity in the same vein, worse than you can imagine. And then into that story, into that story comes Christmas. Shouting to us, it's okay, it's okay. That is really bad, but it's okay because rescue is coming for more than just your soul on this planet and your purpose restored. There is a rescue coming that is going to redeem that future for you, that is going to purchase it back from its death, from its consequence, and is going to create a future for you that was always intended for your soul, a future always intended for you to experience as a human race because when God created us, how did he create us? to experience the fullness of his wonder and in that fullness to then be wonderful to each other, right? To make him known to one another. And Jesus says, oh, if you think the worst of this world is a glimpse of what is yet to come, separated from God, then the best of this world is a glimpse and only a glimpse of what is yet to come when we experience the fullness of our redemptive rescue, the fullness of the work of Christ. Listen to this. In the book of Revelation, which is a book written by John, where he was given a vision from God of what is yet to come. I love that God did this in our scriptures because God could just as easily have left us with the end of our story and said, trust me, it gets better. But he doesn't do that. He has John actually see in some extraordinary ways, a glimpse of the life yet to come, not just as it will exist, but as it exists in time and space in this wonderful world of eternity. So John is writing, and in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, on page 722, if you're using the Bibles we provided, chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, the first line tells us the context. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So we know that John is seeing now the future of our realized redemption through the work of Jesus. And here's what he writes about that place. Listen to the experience that John sees and feels in that place. We're gonna start in verse four. He, that is God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death, shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I mean, I, I could read that 10 more times for you. I mean, you ought to be catching your breath right now, right? You ought to be going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Uh, let me do it again, just so you can capture what I'm saying. I think we've heard this enough, like, yeah, 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 great, tears away, no more mourning. Listen, (laughs) he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death 
shall be no more. That's not just dying, that is all of the implications of death. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now here's the beauty and the fullness of that statement. Look at this, very next verse, verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So he says to John, you better write this down, bro, because if you forget this, that's going to be bad because the people need to know. The people need to read this during the next two, three, four thousand years, and they need to know, they need to understand what their redeemed future really looks like. So that when they are stuck on this planet and they are catching glimpses of the difficulty and struggle that is separation from me, and they are catching glimpses of the wonder that is relationship with me, that they know when I rescued their soul, when I restored their purpose, that was not the fullness of the work. The big story was that I redeemed their future, and their future is this. We have this picture in our mind, I'm telling you, because of our cultural cartoonism, right? That heaven is this place that you go, you wear these white clothes, maybe you have wings, maybe you don't, nobody's really sure, right? Do you you get them, don't you get them, are you with them? So you go in and then you walk around in sort of a monk-like state and you kind of travel, maybe float a little bit. And then what do you do? As the creatures sing around the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You join in and holy, holy. And then you just spend eternity walking around, maybe with wings, maybe not, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty while everyone in hell is in a party. That's the picture we have in our head. No, I'm serious. We don't, I mean, we we don't really say it, but it's kind of how we feel. Hell is where you kind of get to be whatever you want to be in party. And it's, it's a little bad. Don't get me wrong. It's a little bad. But really, that's where the rules don't apply. So that's what the big joke is, right? The big joke is, oh, don't worry. I'm going to hell with all my buddies. I can party there. You don't party there. It is not a party. It is the worst that this world has to offer at an expansive sense beyond imagination. It is where true emptiness and true isolation and true loneliness is only begun to be realized. It is where everything that you have ever known as anything worthy of anything is lost to you. And heaven is not a place where we float around singing holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven is a place beyond our wildest imagination to listen to this. Randy Alcorn again in the book Heaven writes this quote and I, I love the way he puts this because this is what scripture reveals. Listen to this. <clears throat> for the Christian, the Christ follower, the one in Christ, for the Christian, death is not the end of adventure but a doorway from a world, listen to this now, where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. Did you hear that? Heaven is a place where dreams and adventures forever expand instead of the world we live in where the older you get, the harder it is not to become cynical because everything diminishes here. Everything shrinks. All your dreams you had as a child, where are they now? I still have them. Good luck. Good luck. 
Because on this world, everything is diminishing. Everything, and in the world yet to come, everything is expanding. And so what we are revealed in Scripture is that the full wonder of Christmas and Jesus coming to our story is in fact a place that we will go to where our experience of anything good on this planet will be a shadow. Because what we will experience there, we will realize this was only a glimpse of it. And you know what the coolest part of this whole story is? The coolest part is that that's not the extent of it. That is not the best part of our future. God did not come and die and rise from the dead so he can get us to a better place. He, got, he did that so that he could give us a life beyond our wildest imagination, the life restored to us that we lost in the garden. And the life in the garden wasn't about a place. It was about a person. It was about a central relationship with a person that gave us fullness. The garden wasn't what made it awesome for Adam and Eve. It was who was in the garden with them every day that made it awesome for Adam and Eve. And God, in fact, rescues our soul, restores our purpose, and redeems our future, not so we can be in a better place, but so that we can experience the wonder of his love, his grace, his, his extraordinary kindness toward us. Listen to this. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes about this and he says, here are the wonders and purposes of God's work in us and his great redemptive work that is born in the, in the story of Christmas. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter one, verse three. It's on page 674 of the Bibles that we use. 674, Ephesians 1, three. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You see, it's not about a place. It is about every spiritual blessing that you can imagine. Now look at this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we, here it is, should be holy and blameless before him. This is what he makes us. In love, he predestined us for what? for adoption. See, this is all relational, isn't it? It's all relational. Nothing about a place. Everything about a person, about us, and about him. He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Listen to this now. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Why do you think Paul would use words like this? Lavished upon you his grace that you might be adopted as sons and daughters into relationship with him and that you might once again know what it is to live in relationship with God without restriction, without obstacle, perfectly free, perfectly content. That is what he rescued us for. So that he might lavish his grace upon us. Oh wait, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter two, I'm not done yet. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse four. But God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We got that, that's awesome, soul rescue, wow. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, here it is, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we are going to go to a place that is awesome, but it is not for the place that he has rescued us. Watch, here it is, here's why he rescued us. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Are you kidding me? God came to this planet so that he could lavish us with his grace. So that he could overwhelm us with his kindness. So that we would know once again what we were lost to in the garden, the full redemption of our future. So that when we leave this planet, we do not leave this planet scared. We leave this planet longing to go. Because we know this was but a glimpse of what is yet to come. And what is yet to come is beyond wildest imagination. In Revelation chapter 21, where we were earlier, remember where he wipes every tear away? Where he takes all that is dark away from us? Listen, listen to verse 1, 2, and 3, just so you know the context of what we read there. And then you will see it's not about a place. It's about a person. Watch this. Revelation 21, page 722 again. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here it is, this is the awesome part. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Then it says, and he will wipe away every tear. Wow. Wow. This, this is what we get to look forward to. This is the wonder that we wait for. This is what we see in the story of Christmas. When we walk into Christmas this coming week, we walk into the beginning of our redemptive story as we know it. God was preparing that story for centuries and millennia before that, but we walk into the full realization of the redemptive story as we walk into the story of Christmas. We see our king come to this planet born into a manger as a vulnerable baby in a, in a quiet little town on a quiet little night. Not much fanfare other than a few characters. The shepherds, Mary and Joseph, maybe a cow. And that's it. Everything else still and quiet. But it is in that moment that we don't just realize our soul rescue as we look back, that we don't just realize our purpose restored so that our life here on this planet is full and, and, and adventurous and, and wonderful despite some of the mess we still live in. But it is in that story 
that the first whispers of our future are made known. Oh, if you think life now is good with Jesus, this was but a shadow of why I came. I came to make your life in the future something you could never have imagined. I came to redeem your future. This is the story of Scripture. The Chronicles of Narnia, if you've read the books, you realize that they aren't just a few books. They're a bunch of them, right? And they made a few movies, not a lot of them, so they are not finished yet with the movies. Hopefully, they'll make the movies all the way to the end. I don't know, but it doesn't matter because he already wrote the books, so we know the story. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the story that we experience through the clips that we've been watching, where the world of Narnia is first brought to us, the end of that story is not the end of the story, it is but the beginning. And when we get to the very end of the Chronicles of Narnia, we are in a book called The Last Battle. And we think that in that story, finally, we have reached the end of the story, but we find out from C.S. Lewis that at the end of the long story, we have but began the story. And so he writes this. This is Aslan speaking, the great king. This is the end now of the story of Narnia. And remember, C.S. Lewis wrote the story as a picture of our story on this planet. So what he's gonna say in this quote now through Aslan is that our story that we're experiencing now is full of wonder, but we have not yet even begun to imagine what's yet to come. Listen to this. And as he spoke, that's Aslan, he no longer looked to them like a lion. It's a beautiful start to this quote, isn't it? What was a lion to them began to change into something altogether more. We don't even know what. C.S. Lewis doesn't bother to tell us because that's part of the wonder. Listen to this. He no longer looked... To them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful that I cannot write them. I love that he says that. And for us, this, the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after, right? So, what has he just said? What's yet to come, I can't write about because I have not even seen it. So when we come to the end of the story, this is the end for us of all stories. And certainly they were happy stories with happy endings despite the war and mess that came with them. Right? Now look at this. Oh, it's not done yet. But for them, that's the characters in the story of Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story with which no one on earth has ever read. Which goes on forever. And here it is. Stop, breathe, listen. In which every chapter is better than the one before it. The story of eternity, the one we have been redeemed to, is the beginning of our story, and we haven't even gotten there. Folks, listen to me. You're on the cover page. You're on the cover page. It's pretty. It's nice. It has some nice words on it. We're not even in chapter one yet. Because when chapter one begins as our eternity is fully realized, 
when we leave this planet. Chapter one begins there and what C.S. Lewis writes so beautifully, which the scriptures authenticate so beautifully is this, that in eternity, every chapter, every day is better than the one before it. So my question to you is, how could there be a place where every day is better than the one before it? At what point have you traveled through enough days that it is not possible to imagine how the next one can be any better than the one before if that one was better than the one before, which was better than the one before, which was better than the one before, better than the one before that and the one before that. How many do you go before you go, it's not possible anymore? And here's what the scripture reveals to us. Oh, it's totally possible. You just can't imagine it because you don't know what life is like without sin and death. But when you do, oh, you will know what life with Jesus really looks like. This Christmas, if you want to walk into wonder on Christmas Eve and on Christmas morning, walk into your soul rescue by all means. You were dead, now you are alive. Walk into your purpose restored by all means. You were chasing after the wind, purposeless, and now you live for the good works he has prepared in advance for you to do, and he will finish the work he began in you. Wow. But go beyond that, because that is just the cover page. Open the book and remember that what he came to rescue us for as a babe in a manger was to redeem a future for us so that for all of eternity, we might once again know what it is like to live in perfect relationship with our Creator, knowing His freedom and fullness without exception, without obstacle. And in that, entering a grand adventure in which every day is better than the one before it, and in, in which there is no end to wonder. This is our future because He came to planet Earth. And Christmas is our wardrobe through which we stare into the wonder of our future. Let's pray. God, sometimes I stand here and if I actually allow my mind to consider what we've just talked about, it becomes so overwhelming that I don't even have words by which to thank you for what you have affected for our story by your redemptive work. God, we don't want to walk into Christmas this year in all of the hustle and bustle of the celebration itself and miss the reason we're celebrating. We don't want to miss you as the central character of our lives and our stories and our present and our future and our past. We don't want Christmas to come and to go and that as a side note, we made a few comments about you. We want to stand hour after hour, moment after moment, just captivated for a second again, says, again as the thoughts of soul rescued, as the thoughts of purpose restored, as the thoughts of future redeemed flow through us and we are reminded of the stories that we have been able to journey together through these last three weeks. We want to come back here, God, throughout the day on Christmas. So Spirit of God, we're asking you for grace because we will get distracted and caught up in all the craziness of the day. Would you take some of the quotes, some of the verses, 
some of the thoughts, some of the pictures that have been painted for us through your word, through C.S. Lewis and how you used him in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, through the video clips we've watched, through the, the great and wondrous experience of Aslan even today. Would you bring those back to us Christmas Eve, Christmas morn, and allow us to just be stopped in our tracks regularly throughout the day, to just stand for a moment in awe of the wonder into which we have walked, into the wonder that is Christmas, into the wonder that is you, that is your coming, that is your life and your death and your resurrection, that is your redemptive work, that is the gospel, the good news, the great reality that is for all mankind. And may we find ourselves stuck in the wonder this Christmas. We pray in Jesus' name.